You are listening to the award-winning The Young Jerks with Mike Crawford. We're always talking about Lorna McMurray lately. That's the story, but it goes even beyond that. In the cannabis industry, we're uncovering quite a bit. And uh, this show, we were hoping to speak to a couple of experts uh, two of them, unfortunately, it looks like they can't make it tonight. Maybe one might call in, but we have uh, one here who is a doctor. Uh, we're excited to have her on the show. Let's get that up. Can we get one thing right tonight? I think we can. Let's get that up. Here it is. Our guest tonight. Her name is Tess. She's a PhD. She's a microbiologist specializing in cannabis biocontrol. And uh, one of the things tonight's funny is I can't get mad at my producer. That screw up was all on me. I had too many windows open. It was playing back on my other windows, which I didn't even know it would do, which was crazy. And you probably didn't even hear it, but I heard it and it just drove me nuts. So uh, we got it all figured out now. Everything's good. We're going to bring up the guest. Let's just bring up the guest tonight. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Tess. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me here. Can you say your your last name for us so I don't screw that up? <laughs> Absolutely. Edom. Tess Edom. Tess Edom. Thank yep. you so much. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, people should know. I just, I had a serious uh, knee incident on Sunday night. So I'm, I'm kind of loopy right now. I'm kind of losing my shit because I don't know what I'm going to do for uh, my dog walk business. And that's my, my main livelihood. And I love working and I just missed all my dogs today. I don't know when I'm going to be able to go back and I'm just kind of in a funk. So I'm sorry, people. I have a, I have a life outside of this, but uh, that's kind of what's up with me. How are you doing tonight to our guest, Tess Edom? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, I've just been working around the house, talking to folks today, um, and really excited to be on your show. And you're a microbiologist and you special yes. in cannabis, right? Specialize in cannabis? Yeah, I've been working in the cannabis industry for about three years. So I got my start in manufacturing and I've transitioned to be a consultant to help folks with their micro challenges, which is one of the top reasons why, um, at least for flower products, why flower tends to fail in third-party testing is because of the high levels of different types of microbes, usually total yeast and mold or TYM counts. So you see that quite a bit, uh, like powdery mildew and, and mold? Uh, yeah, you know, it's um, some of these microorganisms, you know, are kind of at some baseline within every facility. They come in on the plants, they come in on the plant material, like the cocoa substrate. Um, and so how does it go from being some baseline low level to becoming these crazy taking over the plant, um, really infecting the plant and maybe being a risk to the employees and to the consumer at the end product. So trying to uh, put up surveillance uh, programs in-house, testing in-house so that you can, as a cultivator, know and get eyes on the microbes in your facility. Sorry, my little dog is crying at me right now. <laughs> she's Aww. sitting next to me crying at me. What's the doggy's so, name? Hazel. Yeah. Oh, she's, Hazel. Yeah. <laughs> my Good other dog Hazel. has her bone, so she's crying because her bone. So if you hear a very high-pitched wheel, like squealing, that is her in the background. <laughs> she excited to have her bone? 
<laughs> She's staring fondly at the bone the other dog has and hoping that she gets oh, it by squeaking enough. <laughs> There we go. So, uh, But, uh, Tess, we're we're talking about uh, the issues in cannabis right now. Mm-hmm. You, you you talked about there's you know obviously a little you know mold a baseline level at right. all of these facilities, but it, then it can get worse and there can be outbreaks. Yes. You've you've gone into some of these places, I'm assuming, and, and seen like the big out mold outbreaks. Have you seen that stuff? I've seen some bad mold. Usually, it's um, on the plants in the facility. Sometimes you can get uh, environmental molds, so you can get molds on like drywall. Um, and then once it gets once it's visible on the plant or in the environment, you've reached some pretty critical points that you need to start putting in some risk mitigation there for um, for the cleanliness of your facility and for the integrity of your final product. So, uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen a few things here and there in the last uh, about year and a half that I've been going into facilities. Do you feel that those employees are protected enough from from? In those facilities that have those mold outbreaks, uh, I think that there's a lot more that needs to be done for indoor air quality across the board. There was a White House meeting about it, uh, I think, just last week as well. You know, anywhere from inside school buildings all the way to inside grows. Um, I think that one thing that COVID did is it really did get the conversation going about air quality and what you're breathing and not only the particles in the air and the allergens in the air, but also the bioaerosols, those living components or virus components, virus is technically not alive, but those uh, different parts of the air that can transmit disease um, and potentially other types of allergens or toxins, things like that, that are from microbial populations. So I'm, I do think that there's a lot more that can be done, even in school, uh, in schools across the country, um, and definitely in the cannabis space as far as air filtration, good air exchange, um, you know, relying on kind of the gold standard, which is HEPA filtration. Um, ionizers sometimes can create a lot of different types of chemistries. There was a paper that came out um, at the beginning of this year that talked about how if you ionize air, so a lot of these uh, companies basically they'll They'll shoot a certain wavelength of light on a metal. The metal will react with that wavelength. It'll generate all sorts of ions. And then theoretically, those ions go out into your facility and actively like kill microbes. But they can also create air chemistries that are not good for workers to breathe in. And so there was a paper that came out describing that, uh, again, also in response to a lot of the um, different technologies that came out after COVID where uh, people were just throwing everything at at a problem saying I need to clean my air but I can't get a HEPA filter so instead I'll get an ionizer and now there's more evidence out there that that's likely creating other chemistries that aren't good for people in that in the building that those machines are in. Mm. So what are the solutions on this to uh, protect workers? You, you, you mentioned yeah. that you know there were things that can be done. What, what, what should be being done right now? Yeah, so right now, as far as I know, there aren't a lot of um, 
for OSHA for in the U.S., I don't know of any bioaerosol uh, guide. I mean, strict guidelines that they give. I know the World Health Organization has some. Um, I think that it, again, it's sort of an emerging emerging topic as far as bioaerosols go. Um, but I think that a lot more that what needs to be done is is testing your air, getting particle counters, set, doing settle plates, other bioaerosol testing, either active or passive sampling to see what kinds of microbes and spores are in the air. Are they allergenic? Are they known to be pathogens? Um, looking at other particles that are in the air, um, anywhere from, you know, agitating cocoa all the way up to grinding cannabis, all the way past that into extraction, processing purification when you're, you know, uh, extracting with butane or even ethanol, like all of those materials need to be uh, vented and under a hood. That's one thing, um, like when you're doing distillation, it's creating a lot of different volatiles that can be harmful. And so making sure that even all the way past through extraction, that your air quality is good and you're, um, you're testing it, you're getting a baseline of what's going on during operation. So at your highest activity time, what is going on in those rooms? And then based on the you know, volatiles, the particles that are in the air, putting in proper PPE so that folks are protected um, after that risk assessment and maybe even make it elective if it's something that maybe didn't quite meet that threshold, but somebody might have a certain sensitivity or be getting headaches. Um, then you really need to make sure proper ventilation is going on because really once you're wearing PPE, that's the last line of defense. If you can put in some engineering controls upstream, like good ventilation, um, good air filtration, that I think is, it goes way further than trying to just, you know, put a mask on somebody at the very end. Awesome. A lot of good, good info there. <laughs> um, looking at the situation with, with cannabis workers specifically, and the death of Lorna McMurray, and, and just all the number of employees that we've heard from, and the ocean complaints that have been filed, seems like respiratory is a big issue in these places. And that's what people are complaining about. That's why they're on meds, they're, they're sticking paper towels up their noses. This is what the employees tell us. Um, like, what is it? What do you think it is? And, and, is this like a real thing? Like, is this just people just the complaining, you know, the, there's always 10% of workers that complain a lot. It's not that big of a deal. They're just complaining. Or is this like going to be an epidemic where we find, you know, the attorneys on television in 10 years from now talking about class action suits. Did you work at a cannabis dispensary? Do you have the green lung? You can be in this class action lawsuit. Is, is, is that what's going to happen here? What do you think? You're, you have more knowledge about the way these places work and what's your view on that? Yeah. I mean, I think just like with any emerging industry, sometimes, uh, unfortunately accidents have to happen in order for the industry to change or to even start thinking about it. You know, there's a legacy, um, history here in cannabis, you know, folks were using ozone a long time ago to cover up the smell of, of cannabis, but, you know, just trying not to like ozonate their employees and their folks in the warehouse and stuff like that. And so I think, 
think that it's um, it's kind of the result of the industry getting up to speed with being legal and legitimate and not having that manufacturing background that is, you know, well-established. Like even my husband, who's a brewer, um, when they would mill grain, they would wear masks. Like they had a ventilator program. Um, not every single brewery does, depending on the mill and depending on the air part- particles that are generated. But, you know, industries have learned the hard way. And there is a long history of certain industries being associated with different types of diseases like um cheesemaker lung is one that pops to my mind um because of all the different molds that are involved in in kind of your hard cheese cheeses when you're in there breathing it in all day long guess what it can lead to different respiratory issues and so i think this idea of air quality is is first of all coming to the forefront in general uh after covid but secondly in this industry a real hazard analysis to employees and and to their final product but that's kind of separate hasn't really been performed uh, probably the way that it should be in every single facility um, because of that legacy, because of the the rapid growth model that most of these companies have. And so I think assessing air quality, getting the tools to have uh, to see what is in your air, bringing in consultants. There are plenty of folks who can come in and bring all the tools and gadgets to assess your air quality and the volatiles and other things that are floating around. So, and they can inform you they can do fit tests for you for your employees they can help you set up these uh, respirator programs if necessary but again to really understand gotta start doing it and seeing what's going on in your air and then you can start uh, hopefully addressing it at its source you know where yeah like i said good ventilation good filtration um and if you can't do it upstream then make sure that the proper ppe is in place um for the for those employees who are going to be most impacted that sounds like pretty basic and easy but i think <laughs> a lot of the issue is to be Big cannabis companies don't have a vested interest to invest the money that it would take to, to make sure the air is safe. What can the regulators do? What, what what We've been bashing the Cannabis Control Commission. We feel like they're a cover-up organization. They did a virtual investigation of mold because it was too dangerous for their employees, but they let the, the low-level dispensary employees, the cultivation folks for $14 an hour go back in there without proper right. equipment but they wouldn't let their own people in there uh, with state pensions. I, I just feel like that organization has got a lot of issues. They weren't even letting their cannabis control commissioners know about the death of Lorna McMurray. They found out some of them from the, the press, the news you know releases that we did in September. I know that some of the cannabis control commissioners are probably watching right now. Like if not now, like later on, they, they listen, they watch the show. Some of the local politicians listen. What would you say to them? Like, what should they be doing Mm. to get a handle on this and kind of, you know, make sure that things get better for the workers? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm no OSHA expert, but OSHA still applies to every employee in the country, including those employed in the cannabis industry. So they're not exempt just because federally, you know, the cannabis industry is um, still illegal. So the, those protect those protections are still in place. So, um, you know, companies still have to answer to OSHA. And as employees um, get up to speed in what, you know, in a more legitimate um, market, 
where uh, their concerns hopefully will be taken more seriously, like OSHA, hopefully they'll know their rights a little bit more too. And it can be both a grassroots and hopefully top down leadership starts to understand that, you know, we got to get up to speed with our safety, with our um, safety of our employees. Um, I work on product safety, which is another thing that companies uh, really haven't gotten up to speed with as far as like doing a thorough risk assessment across their processes to see how that's going to impact the consumer and the final product. So just thinking much more broadly and much more long term, these companies, as we go into hopefully federal legalization here over the next few years, you know, they're going to have to start investing in uh, these types of safety programs, not only their worker safety, but consumer safety. And it is going to have to be a top priority because it can be a brand destroyer if any of these incidents happen. And, um, you know, one thing that I've commented on is like, if, if you don't, if you don't show you care about your employees and you're not doing anything to protect your consumers, like who are you serving? And that's going to be the question more consumers are going to be asking soon too. And uh, hopefully with all of that, you know, from the workers and leadership and the consumer driving for better workplaces, better, safer products. um, You know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see the industry go that way. Um, But it's, it's a little bit, of a learning curve for a lot of these folks who haven't had to think this way before. Excellent. I mean, I think we, most consumers, when you ask them that uh, I want it, we, we want that. It's like, why wouldn't we want it? Yeah. And I think it's the, it's the only way we keep this industry going. Like otherwise, you know, prohibitionists are going to be using all these issues against the industry and start shutting things down. I I just see that. And I don't know why people aren't, trying to save what they have here. Yeah, it's about, you know, it's not that boom and bust. It's got to be more long-term strategic planning. Um, That's how, you know, food, people have gotten sick and died from food. They've gotten sick and died from exposure, all sorts of things in food manufacturing, you know, and then big laws rolled out after that to make sure that people were protecting consumers and protecting their workers. And we've just been building on that for, you know, decades in the food industry. We don't have that long history in cannabis, but we can look to these other industries for good practices and make sure that we're putting in just some basic safety precautions for our workers and for our our consumers. That seems like the problem at the Cannabis Control Commission. They've got all these regulations for everything else. There's not one thing that like protects workers. They haven't like you know, and they've done all these uh, revisions, and like, you know, change regulations to make things better for different constituents. They haven't done anything for workers. They've done nothing. Yeah. And I think that you bring up a really good point with all this kind of patchwork um, regulatory oversight across the country who is I mean, OSHA still oversees worker safety. But when, um, you know, the the market is still sort of uh you know, it's legitimate, but it's sort of in between. And a lot of people don't want to put their head up uh, because of the culture um, and, and they don't want to say anything. Uh, how, what responsibility do these different types of over, like state led oversight committees, what do they have? I know like on the pesticide front, some of them do, you know, make sure that 
only certain pesticides are used um, and they can't be used at certain times and you have to follow the label and you have to wear appropriate PPE, but who's actually going in and making sure that that's happening? I, I don't know of many instances where OSHA is coming in and doing random checks. And honestly, they're a big federal body, so they're not, they may not. I mean, that's one of those things. If we do want to protect consumers and workers, who does have this oversight and who is responsible? Um, you know, if it were a regular, uh, you know, food company or brewery, they would have a safety officer and that safety officer would have a list of, uh, you know, different different procedures to follow under different emergencies and where the risks are to workers and the proper PPE. Um, in a lot of the facilities I've been to, there there isn't really a dedicated safety officer that's that knows OSHA in and out. Um, it's kind of an afterthought and i think i think that's another issue is like everything's so profit driven and so hyper growth model that um these basic safety things are like uh it's fine people have been working and doing this for decades no one's complained no one's had problems it's like well that's not really true and two um just because no one's had issues doesn't mean that you're not going to have issues, so you need to be proactive. So yeah, being proactive. I've been rambling on, but being proactive is like the biggest thing that I think these companies need to start thinking about. I agree 100%. Um, you mentioned pesticides, that there's a lot of, like we don't, on the Lorna McMurray case, let's put it that way, we don't really know what happened to her. I mean, the OSHA originally said it was the particles in the air. They actually rescinded that. They took it out of the OSHA report after we all reported on it in the press. Uh, True Leaf has now come out and lied and said that it was because of her pre-existing conditions that it was because she smoked. She's 27 years old, and they said that smoking caused her. That That's to me, and they don't even say whether it was tobacco. We believe that, that uh, she was only using cannabis towards the end of her life. So she was using the True Leaf products. And then we were told by one of our friends the other night that she was actually afraid to use the True Leaf products because she found them to be not good for her health. Let's put it that way. So maybe maybe smoking True Leaf products killed her. That's another possibility. Since True Leaf said smoking caused her death, maybe it was the True Leaf. That's what I'm, I'm going to take a guess on since their products are probably so dangerous with mold, I guess. That's what I'm hearing. Um, but it could be, again, uh, pesticides. It could be mold in the facility she you know it could be uh what you also mentioned an allergy it could be a million things it could be a pre-existing condition we never knew about uh she died four days later after collapsing at work uh and died basically of a cardiac arrest that's you know after four days i mean she never woke up apparently um i mean what do you think what do you think uh, am i am i putting all the risk out there do you think those are the risks that could be out there like what are the risks that could have killed her what do you think yeah i mean i think that those are you went through a rolodex of different like common denominators that we see from you know parallel industries where you're working with plant matter like it's pretty well characterized um especially in like grain silos and you know animal husbandry uh you know poultry farms things like that air quality is not good and for all sorts of reasons because of the small particulate that basically just go right into your lungs and absorb and cause all sorts of 
problems to the different microbes that are in the air um, and those microbes can directly harm you they by infecting you so we, we've seen it with aspergillus and cannabis um, they can indirectly harm you by the toxins that they produce so um, lipopolysaccharide LPS is a bacterial um, antigen that they express. It's a little bit and a little protein molecule, uh, part of it. It's actually part of its, uh, cellular envelope and, um, it's a general immunostimulant. And so if, uh, there's a lot of links to these LPS molecules and grain silos, things like that. And, you know, you kick up that dust and people breathe it in and just that little molecule can activate your lungs and it causes, you know, it's linked to COPD and other issues. One of my good friends is up at CSU, Colorado State University studying, she's an immunologist studying how your immune system reacts to all of these different farm and plant and animal type, uh, molecules and um you know and then also pesticides that you brought up um you know some pesticides are considered minimum risk pesticides but when you read the label uh even especially if they have like terpenes and things in them it turns out that actually a lot of these like essential oils um when you look them up are uh, inhalation health hazards. So um, what does that mean when we're smoking and it's going through pyrolysis? We already know that mycobutanol, uh, a pesticide that's used when it, it um, undergoes combustion, it turns into basically cyanide. So it can be problematic, um, not only for the people who are spraying and maybe not wearing proper PPE, but potentially for the consumer. You know, we haven't done a lot of studies on that. And that's why some states do put in uh, for pesticides that you have to hit certain markers like in Colorado it has to be safe for use in tobacco otherwise you can't use it uh, on cannabis so that kind of makes sense as far as like a parallel um, but some states it's, it could be used for fruits and vegetables um, and maybe not approved for use in tobacco so we don't know what happens to it when it's combusted or vaporized and what are we inhaling then and so there's a big black box there when it comes to um, all the unique airborne safety hazards that cannabis uh, potentially produces and just not a lot of data out there to really know what the true risks are. I mean, we can pull again from, you know, milling grain. We know that it's it produces small particles and maybe there's these other little microbial bits in there that might be problems. Um, so, you know, we know that that is an issue. So maybe we should start applying that knowledge to cannabis before we have that baseline data just to be safe. Um, same with pesticides and things like that. But again, that, that requires some proactive thinking and uh, this industry is not really known for being proactive. Right. I mean, I will say for the Mass Cannabis Control Commission, they apparently do have a lot of pesticides that they test with, test for. Um, other folks like uh, Trent will say that there's a lot of pesticides that are on that list. There's ways to get around it. Um, I want to just also make clear that truly, if we have no evidence that they've used pesticides, we haven't heard that from any employees. We have heard that there's mold. So we have hold that they that they do have that they did have a mold problem. 
I mean, we, you know, we're, we're going on what employees tell us, but again, not every employee is going to know what's going on there. And honestly, we haven't heard enough from Trulief cultivation employees. I would love to hear a lot more from them. Uh, we hear from a lot of other places where we hear about pesticides. We hear mostly though, again, about bold. That's what we, powdery yeah. mildew is the common one. Yeah. That's what we're hearing a lot. But again, you know, a lot of times people don't know why they're getting sick. They don't know why they're getting COPD. So our thing is let, let's find out. It feels like to me that Trulief doesn't want to know and that the Cannabis Control Commission doesn't want to know. That's problematic, isn't it, Tess? Yeah, I mean, if you can't, no one can hide their head in the sand about safety issues. So that's one thing that as an industry, we just need to be better and be proactive. And again, pull from what we know from these other industries where similar hazards are present, whether it's antigens in the plant that are immunoreactive, there's different microbes that might be causing problems for all sorts of reasons, um, pesticides, volatiles, any of those things could potentially cause different respiratory issues. And so um, it, it's important to get that lay of the land because you can't see these fine particles typically. You can't see microbes and you can't see volatiles. So you have to use those tools and bring in experts so that you can start understanding what the risks are and put in proper uh, mitigation efforts. Now, we've also had uh, issues we've seen on like even testing the product where there's a big conflict of interest between the testing companies that are testing for the THC and, uh, you know, the, the folk, the dispensaries that are sending their product out. If they get the test they want, they have a lot of power in that relationship. It seems like the regulators haven't, haven't, um, done a good job in a lot of these states and making sure that conflict of interest doesn't dictate their test results and, and create fraud. We're seeing even lawsuits happen. It's starting to really get exposed. I, I talked to a lot of the growers in Massachusetts. This is a big issue for them. They always bring this up to me. Um, I feel like the same thing could happen with these third parties that come in and test the air. How do we ensure, like, and how do we make it more publicly available so that the employees know what the results are. The employees are, you know, the employees only find out when one of them gets the results and leaks them to the rest of them, you know, on Reddit usually, or to us, like we've seen some of those third party air results and, and tests and things. We know that the consulting companies are going in. I think most of them are legit scientists like you that care about their workers aren't, aren't going to screw it up. But how do we make sure that that doesn't become a conflict of interest too? And how do we, uh, because I feel like we should tie that into the regulator. The regulator should be like forcing that and, and showing that kind of compliance. But then I, then I fear by doing that, that will lead to more fraud. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> so how do we, yeah. how do we kind of make sure that, uh, more of the, of the air testing happens and that the regulators are keeping track of this, but it doesn't get fraudulent. Setting that culture of safety, setting that culture of quality. I think that that's the biggest hurdle to get over, you know, in as far as testing goes. Um, in food, you do have to send out final product for testing. You don't necessarily send out every single lot. You might send out a quarterly representative of each of your products or, you know, whatever you end up 
deeming as necessary. So in in some ways, it's in it's less rigorous as far as final product testing in cannabis. You have to test every single lot of flour. I mean, sometimes it can be manipulated in dispensaries and like put packaged into pre rolls and things like that. And so there's another potential risk there from when you tested it to when it actually gets a consumer. But um, you know, one thing I say is like these are the way that we have it set up in cannabis is is really putting a lot of the responsibility on the third party testing labs when really the manufacturers need to have their own in-house testing abilities and they need to, this is part of that whole risk management. So in food, the Fair Safety Monitor, Food Safety Modernization Act or FISMA um, establishes you have to do a hazard analysis across all your processes for all your products and know where potential risks are coming in as far as um, allergens, chemical risks, and biological risks. So um, though you have to do that. And someone comes in from the FDA and looks through your food safety plan and inspects that and makes sure that you have all of the different process controls in place so that you those preventive controls will actually um, mitigate the risk so you are putting in the right amount of checkpoints you're checking your product along the entire way and then when you send it out for testing it should only really be validating something you already know as opposed to what kind of happens in the industry now which is operate pretty much blind until the final product and cross your fingers and hope that it passes you know in-house potency testing and in-house micro testing. Well, I was very spoiled when I was working in the industry and had both of those labs in our facility. Most cannabis manufacturers don't, but even the smallest brewery has its own microscope and plating so that it can look for contaminants in their beer. And they're not held to anywhere near the safety guidelines that food is. So just that just again, understanding, knowing, building that culture of quality and safety so that you are very adamant about what's going on across your entire process also has to be enforced for what's you take that same risk assessment but instead of what risks are coming in that could potentially affect the consumer you have to say okay what risks are there to my workers and put in again i'm not an osha expert but put in the proper mitigation efforts either on the engineering putting in engineering controls to make sure you have good ventilation or the proper ppe and that is something that you know, OSHA still does have oversight. Right now, the FDA doesn't have any oversight on your process and on consumer safety. But um, OSHA should still be, you know, the big player there. Um, and, you know, our industry needs to be held accountable. So whether that's inspections or, you know, maybe there's... Uh, uh, you need to have a safety officer, a designated safety officer. This is their responsibility. And again, bringing in experts and, you know, unlike in cannabis where, uh, you know, you get a passing test and you can sell your product. This is still something, and I agree with you, that is probably not shared publicly, not shared with all the employees, but the employees can start, you know, speaking that language and, um, you know, Hopefully they do share some of those results. If not, there's some really uh, cheap particle counters out there you can buy for a couple hundred bucks. They're actually kind of fun to play around with. Here in Denver, we have really bad air quality most of the time. Uh, so they're always in the like moderate to bad area. Um, but, uh, you know, 
make trying to hold these companies accountable is something that really only federal is federal like legalization and federal organizations can do and that's part of that accountability that um, inspection making sure uh, that what they say they're doing is actually what they're doing and um, the, and then changing the culture to one yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's you know, hard I'm glad you said that like because so many times we hear from the employees that they're that yeah they have a safety officer but his thing is just to create paperwork that makes it look like they're doing all the stuff that they aren't actually doing like yeah. they're basically lying it's creating a paper trail to cover their ass and later on they lie um but you know that stuff really hasn't been proven yet do you see any big cannabis operators actually doing what you're suggesting like having a culture of safety and, and doing all you know all the way through not just at the end like all the way through do you see anyone looking at it and saying you know what we're going to do this differently we're going to do it the right way I, I have to say that my time when I was at Columbia Care in New York, um, we were very safe. We had a respirator program, fit tested. We were in the old Kodak complex. And so a lot of folks, um, we had a lot of resources uh, from being in Kodak and, and that legacy of Kodak in Rochester. And so we we had experts come in and sample our air and made sure that all of our equipment was properly ventilated. Um, especially like our still because even though we were only using um you know in new york they only allow you to use co2 or ethanol to extract we weren't using butane there are other things there are components of the cannabis plant that when you concentrate it and volatilize it in a you know uh, no pressurized, very hot system, uh, you can get some very interesting compounds coming out of there. And so you want to make sure that all that is properly vented. And I know that I uh, I was very um, spoiled in my time at Columbia Care, especially now being, um, you know, getting a chance to see other facilities across the country. Um, not everybody does that. They don't, again, they're very, it's a very reactive industry and not very proactive. Um, and then I do know that some edible companies are going through that certification process, at least on the product safety side, to make sure that um, they are basically adhering to um, FSMA type uh, guidelines and going through that entire process. And that will be the norm uh, for most food products down the road that are produced in cannabis facilities. Um, so, you know, seeing what their GMP status is, that's another measurement. So their good manufacturing practices, are they certified? Are they on the road to certification? Are they being proactive about that? Because that's likely going to be something coming down the pipeline. What Again, about, that- let me ask you about the big three, like True Leaf, uh, you know, Parallel and uh cure leaf like those are the ones that you know kind of run in this market you know there's some others you mentioned um columbia care where you came from they're now another company like wh- where are these big guys are they doing any of that stuff are they doing you know moving i honestly that? don't know and so that's that's something i you know that's a that's part of the big black box that are the big players setting the tone um if they're not then you know and they have a big market share and that again that's that's that culture what kind of culture do we want to build and as the big players what role are they playing to set that tone and set that culture um it's hard to say 
most folks don't go advertising when they have incidents. One of the reasons why we didn't really find out about this death until recently. Um, and, you know, like I said, people do die in other manufacturing plants, but you know, they're, they've been established for decades and they typically have safety programs in place. Um, and you can still have accidents. I mean, accidents happen, but um, just setting that culture that when you bring an employee in day one, safety training is part of it. You have refreshers on a monthly basis. You have uh, specific training to specific machines that you're using. So you know what the risks are to, um, you know, your lungs, to if it's a sharp object are you wearing the proper gloves that are you know resistant to those uh blades that you're cleaning every day and stuff like that and that is what these companies should be doing i'm not sure what what they are doing though thank you so much we're yeah. speaking to tess edom she's a phd a microbiologist specializing in cannabis biocontrol among other things uh, if anyone wants to reach you you know whether they're a reporter an activist a legislator maybe a cannabis uh, grow, uh, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, yeah, so you can find me at my company, Rogue Micro, or www.roguemicrollc.com, or just tests at roguemicrollc.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram, so Rogue Micro LLC, that's kind of my thing. So uh, look for that, and I'm happy to chat with folks. Again, I'm mostly focused on managing microbes, which do have a little bit to do with the microbes floating around in your air, because they can definitely mess up your final product if not controlled. Awesome. And we're, we're also hearing like, you know, from the consumer angle, people think that they get sick as well from these products. Is that something like, you know, the, you talked about the bacteria or someone, you know, mm. had sent some info about a gut bacteria that they mm. think they got. Is that something that possibly could happen as well? Well, you know, with inhalation, I mean, they're, they've shown with cigarettes that, um, yeah, yeah, well, you can breathe through the cigarette yeah. and they have these little like machines that will like, you know, pull a certain amount of a drag or or a hit and then you can plate that smoke and microbes actually can live um in that smoke and be plated and they will grow and, and what about so, vapes is that the same thing is that is it just for the i smoke? haven't seen uh, a lot with vapes i would assume due to extraction and to these heavily processed like these these processing steps get very hot and would likely kill most microbes that are on there but flour there are issues with microbes specifically where we should be extra cognizant once it's you know there could be instances where uh maybe the cartridge wasn't clean i know metals and potentially uh concentrated pesticides and other things that could be uh kind of spiked in to um to vape like uh like distillate mixes and things like that those have potential to be harmful in in vapes but for flour a lot of it is uh is the microbes that you have to worry about and so that's one thing that hopefully you know the industry really steps up and um i i posted a video about this but uh dog food actually has more oversight and safety guidelines than cannabis does mm. uh, because it's overseen by the fda and it's overseen yeah. by fisma and so i'm hoping to see um cannabis production sort of step up to at least you know at least meet dog food <laughs> unbelievable 
I mean, I love dogs. I'm I'm glad that dog food has some oversight. I think it probably needs more, but to think that it cannabis does, doesn't have yeah. as much oversight as dog food, I think that says it all. Uh, I, a listener, uh, I believe this is David, actually, the stepdad of Lorna, wrote, my workplace does all the tests she speaks about. So his workplace, we're doing the test. I don't know if uh, Lorna's, his stepdaughter, was so much... Danny Carson, who's also been on the show and been quoted in uh, quite a few news articles lately all over the nation, says, uh, thank you for all your expertise and input here. This is crucial insight that I hope hits the right ears. Yeah, I mean, we the things that we say, I mean, a lot of what we're going to have to do, I think, in this industry is as workers and as consumers really advocate for healthy, clean, safe work environments. That's only going to help the final product at the end. And it's only going to make a higher quality, better brand for the company. So I really do think setting this this culture of safety and quality is what the industry, it needs a, it needs a coming to Jesus moment for this, for sure. Thank you. Um, we we also got another comment that says fascinating. Thank you, Tess. Yeah, I oh. I love nerding out on all these things. It's it's yeah. really sad that this is the the reason why we have to come together. But I'm glad that we do have this conversation. We've also had some first too that I didn't even show on the screen. I'm not going to show. I actually blocked someone through the stream yard tonight because we were getting like porn spam porn. Oh no, good. You know what I mean? You ever see that crap? Like. <laughs> How is that getting through? I think it was on Facebook, actually. <laughs> and then we got this other guy on Twitch who's talking about Biden and MBS. I'm like, dude, you got the wrong show. This is We're not That's talking about relevant. Joe Biden. We're not talking about <laughs> MBS. We're not talking about oil. We might be talking about cannabis oil, but we're not talking about Saudi oil, bro. bro. But you right, know what? Right. I'm glad he commented because we never get anything on Twitch. So we finally get some some comments from it Twitch worked. in there. It's crazy. <laughs> Uh, we we got some other ones too. Uh, oh, here it is. Not suitable for work. Ha ha ha! Someone's laughing. Oh, yeah, they're not. The they're not suitable stuff. for work comments. Not suitable for this show either. But I don't know. It's it, we got a lot of first today. I, I lost my crap tonight on setting up the show. Blew up my knee this week. Oof. But you know what? We're here and we're still offering good content. And Tess has been awesome. Ah shucks. <laughs> yeah, you've done so well. You carried the show tonight. I want to really thank you. Um, yeah, it's what yeah. we needed. We needed the info. We needed the kind of science mind to come in here. We had a couple other folks uh, that we were hoping to bring. Can you say their names and, and make sure we don't forget them? Test your friends. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Kyle Baker and um, and Leslie Ingleking. They were both going to join tonight. Um, there was. Uh, a death in the company and so they had to postpone but they both are influencers um they both you know i've been in the cannabis industry for quite some time um uh, kyle has a lot of good safety and experience with the ccc leslie knows a lot about product safety and she also got her start in manufacturing so um uh, and she also works with 
different regulators, mostly setting safety standards for the consumer, but has a lot of experience and a lot of connections with OSHA folks too. So um, I'm sure that we can probably circle back with them and bring them on for a more in-depth, again, on more on the OSHA worker safety. Um, but I'm I'm always uh, here to, to chat about consumer safety and just like mitigating microbial risks in your grow and in your post-harvest. Thank you so much, Tess. And definitely, uh, we're going to try to get them on. Uh, we're sorry they couldn't make it tonight. I talked to Kyle uh, for like an hour one night on the phone, and he's got a lot of good stories that we definitely want to bring. And there's going to be a lot more coming on the show. You know that, folks. Uh, we're, we're, we're speaking to people all across the nation, and there'll be a lot more coming. I don't know when. It might even be tomorrow night. We might even do a show tomorrow night. I'm not sure. But I would expect more shows this week or maybe next week. It all depends on my health issue too, my knee. We'll see if uh, I don't know. It could be we could be running into an emergency surgery. Who knows? I'm like ready to do anything to fix this knee situation. It's only been one day. But uh, my name is Mike Crawford. This is the Young Jerks. I again want to thank Tess uh, for joining us tonight and providing all her science. Your PhD. What is your PhD in? I, I should have in microbiology. Yeah, my my PhD was actually developing um, a new class of antibiotics against bacterial pathogens. So, microbe assassin stuff. <laughs> wow. So that that that's gonna be. Uh very valuable to be kind of that that place yeah right? yeah we we did some proof of principle experiments and um and i think and my boss is still doing research on it so they're still doing uh, a lot of different um investigations for these these novel molecules so i'm i'm hoping i'm hoping people wishing me to get better soon i Aww. need it please give me prayers but uh tess i want to ask you one more question before i let you go tonight you're you're a woman in biology microbiologist like this is uh like there aren't enough women in science how did you get into science and and what's your like kind of thing you would tell young people because you're young too i'm assuming you look pretty young i'm not too young but i'm like on that verge (laughs) yeah um yeah i mean i i grew up um i actually just posted my my career story um with the Association of Women in Science. So they featured me in their fall magazine. So it goes into depth on my story, but I grew up in Nebraska. I um, was a twin in a single parent uh, household. Didn't really have, know what science was, but I liked Star Trek The Next Generation. And that that started my nerddom path um, into science. And, you know, I was one of those kids that was always out playing in the dirt and chasing ants around trying to figure out where they were going what they were doing and bringing in critters from the creek down the street from my house and so I just fell in love with biology and animals as a kid and um, finally started to get serious about it in high school and went into it for college and just kept going to school and kept learning and kept pushing the boundaries of what's known and um for anybody who's interested in science if you're curious and you have a a stubborn streak it's a good place for you it really is you can pave your own path and really blaze your own trail and it's you know there are experiments i've done where i was looking at the results and i was like no other human being on the planet knows this but me right now and that is a really cool feeling to have and so i 
I encourage everyone, um, no matter what your background is, or if you have science parents or not, um, that if you like science, you like to nerd out on things and you can really uh, focus on something and, and uh, get it done, that it's the place for you for sure. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, our guest tonight, Tessa Edom, uh, you were great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you, Mike. You too. We're the Young Jerks. We will see everyone real soon. Uh, thank everyone for listening and commenting. Uh, thank you. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.